protection program. Or even now today, it's becoming more and more of an issue, uh, having our identity stolen, uh, where someone might take your identity, uh, they wreak havoc on your life and, and force you to become someone else. And changing your identity and starting over seems to be a common motif in books and movies. But I want to ask you this question this morning. Is it possible to do so in real life? In real life. A true, real, new identity. Now, as we come and celebrate the resurrection, uh, frequently uh, when we do so, we think of the future when uh, the dead in Christ will be raised and will be together with the Lord. And we think of the resurrection bodies we'll enjoy. And certainly Philippians 3 and other passages teach us that. And we look forward to that future hope. But I want you also to understand the implications of the resurrection of Jesus Christ for right here, right now. Your life right now. Your life right here, right now in this world. Paul's purpose in Romans 6 is to show us that God gives us hope for the future, certainly, in the resurrection. But he also wants to transform the way we live until we attain that purpose. Paul's purpose is to show us then that being a believer makes a decisive difference in one's relationship to sin. And you might hear me say this a couple times during the message, but I want you to understand it. If you are a believer in Christ, you have a new relationship to Christ. And therefore, if you have a new relationship to Christ, you have a new relationship to sin. What I want us to grasp this morning is the path to new life in Jesus comes by dying with him and being raised with him. The path to new life in Jesus comes by dying with him and being raised with him. You and I have an identity that we are born with. It's an old identity. And in Romans chapter 6, Paul tells us how the cross of Jesus Christ slays, it obliterates, it severs the relationship between you and your old identity if you are in Christ. The Bible says your old identity means that you are a slave to sin. You're in bondage to sin. You might wonder what that means. And I'd like you to look in Romans chapter 6 and verse 1. Romans chapter 6 and verse 1 says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? The argument here is a little difficult to unpack in a short while here, but what has happened is Paul has expounded and explained God's free gift, his grace, that overcomes what Adam and our sin has accomplished. It is greater, more powerful, it is bigger, it is farther reaching, it is deeper than anything that has happened. And so some people have said, well, if that's true, then I can go on living how I want to live. God's grace is, is, to fit, is, is so big, it's so deep, that it always covers my sins. And so I can continue in sin. And Paul says, that's not even on the radar in the Christian life. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He says, God forbid. And here is his reasoning why. Verse 2. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Folks, if you are in Christ through the gospel, the good news, the gospel that is that God is our holy creator. He is the righteous judge. He is our father. He created us to glorify him, to enjoy him forever. But the truth of the matter is, is that we've all sinned. We have fallen short of the glory of God, the Bible says. We have sinned in Adam in the garden as our as a representative and very much so individually in our actions and our thoughts. 
Because of that, we therefore, because God is holy and just, deserve death, spiritual separation from God and hell, and we are, in fact, already spiritually dead, helpless in our sins. And we are in need of God to give us new life, to give us spiritual life. And the way God does that is God sends His Son, Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, who lives perfectly in our behalf in His life. Who lives and enjoys God and loves God with all His heart, soul, and mind, and loves His neighbor perfectly. But this Jesus was crucified at the cross. He dies the death that we deserve. But Jesus is raised up from the dead. And he walks out of the tomb, never to die again. Not just his spirit separating from his body. No, he walked body and spirit out of the tomb as we celebrate here this resurrection day. And the Bible says if we would have, if we would have Christ's perfect righteousness credited to us and the penalty of what I deserve accounted to him and see that glorious exchange, his righteousness for my filthy rags, the Bible says we must repent of our sins and believe upon Jesus Christ alone for our salvation. And so what we see here in Romans chapter 6 on this new identity is the cross slays your old identity. Paul says, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? That identity is dead. If you are in Christ, you have put your faith and trust in what I have just described as the gospel. You have been given the Holy Spirit. You have given new life. And the the cross slays your old identity. That relationship, you as a slave to sin, that is severed. That is severed. The divorce papers have been served to that. And we cannot continue trampling God's glory, going our own ways. That identity is dead. That relationship is severed. He says in verse 3, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized, that's the idea of immersed into Jesus Christ, were baptized or immersed into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. All right began this morning talking about new identities. And that's what Paul's trying to drive at here. He says, in Christ you have a new identity. He says, you can walk in newness of life. You can have new life, is how he says it. Well, how does the cross slay your old identity? Well, if we're in Christ, we can't continue trampling God's glory. We're united to Christ, who exists to make the glory of God infinite. Infinitely worth and because that identity is dead, our relationship is severed with sin, slave to sin. And that old master of bondage to sin is slain. We don't have to live in selfishness and just living for ourselves. We've been bought with a price. Verse 6 and 7 says, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. It is pinned to the cross that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now what is Paul saying here? He's saying that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, when you put your faith in what he did for you, the Bible sees your old person, your old life, your old selfishness, your filthy rags as being pinned to the cross with Jesus. It's dead. It's severed. That relationship is severed. Chains are broken. The old master of bondage is slain. Now in verse 17 and verse 19 and verse 20 and 21 and 23, he talks about uh, being, being um, 
Uh, slaves before you're, you're under you're, you were under an old master uh, your old master here is, is is broken your relationship is broken he can have no uh, jurisdiction over you you can have no dominion he cannot rule over you. you have a new king your chains are broken you have a new relationship Ken Hughes, who is the, who is the pastor emeritus of, uh, of College Church in Wheaton, Illinois, he tells a story of, of a man named Stuart Briscoe, who ends up being a, a, a Bible teacher in his later years. But when he was a young teenager, Stuart Briscoe was drafted into the Royal Marines uh, during the Korean War, Britain. And he came under the control of a particularly imposing regimental sergeant major who, who had an air about him. Of, he would stride around the, uh, around the barracks and he would uh, leave a, a train of tough, very tough men quaking in their boots. That was the control this guy had. Maybe some of you in the military had a drill sergeant like that. Or you had it, uh, an authority over you who you, you didn't mess with that guy. You did what he said. Well, Briscoe didn't realize how dominant this man had become in his life until the day he was released from the Marines. The day Briscoe was released from the Marines. And so Briscoe he has his papers here in his hand. He's been released from the Marines, and he is, he's just luxuriating in this newfound freedom. He's, he's done with the Royal Marines. And, uh, <clears throat> and he, 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 he looks around, he puts his hand in his pocket, he slouches a little bit. Uh, uh, he, he, he whistles, things that were just so heinous to this uh, sergeant major who had been over him, they would have landed him in big trouble. And then, as he was walking out of the base with his release papers, Briscoe saw that sergeant major walking toward him. And on an impulse, he springs into the posture of a royal marine, until he realized that that guy had died to him. What do you mean by that? Well... He wasn't dead. Stuart Briscoe wasn't dead. The sergeant major was very much alive. But as far as the sergeant major's domination uh, and influence and rule over Stuart's life was concerned, that was history. That was a matter of history. And so Briscoe did some reckoning. He did some understanding here. He had to believe some truths that had happened here uh, in his position here. And he didn't yield to the man's tyranny. And he demonstrated that fact by refusing to swing his arms and march. Uh, and, 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 and keep his back as stiff as a ramrod. Instead, he presented his hands and feet, his body here, and freedom. He found freedom. That sergeant major could do nothing about it. Couldn't do a thing about it. The relationship to his old domineering master was, was done. Was done. That's what Paul's explaining. But you know, we have a hard time realizing that those of you who are I'm speaking to are believers in this room we have a hard time believing that it doesn't matter what we feel about it the facts are true the facts are true you have been dead with Christ that old relationship to sin is gone it is pinned to the cross it is executed I heard a story about uh, uh, Robert and Jan, who lived in Massachusetts, and they were attracted to the country life and they decided to move to a little bit warmer climate. They decided to move to the hills of Kentucky uh, from the business and noise of, of Boston, Massachusetts. And they decided there, as they're uh, living in the country, that they would try their hand at getting some chickens. And so the day came where they were going to be brave after raising some chickens and get messy. And they, uh, these city slickers from Boston, living in Kentucky, are going to have a chicken for dinner, one of their own chickens. 
So they know that the thing has to be dead first. So they take the chicken to the stump, they close their eyes, and they chop the head off. The chicken's head falls to the ground, but to their shock, the body's still flapping around. All right? And, uh, and, uh, and it's struggling. And Robert says to Jan, it's dead. It's dead. And Jan isn't convinced, and she starts to argue because it's flapping around. And, and she says, no, it's alive. And they argue back and forth. And they make such a racket arguing that their neighbor down the road, Frank, he can hear them. And he has a whole lot more common sense. He's lived in Kentucky his whole life, lived among this, this, this rural life and, and among chickens. And uh, he hears the argument. He looks at the chicken. He looks at the head of the ground. He hears Robert say it's dead. He hears Jan say, no, it's still alive. And he says, it's dead, but it don't believe it. <laughs> and that is really how many of us are. We say, I'm still kicking it's still kicking. I, I, I still feel like I'm, I'm under the domineering here of sin. But the truth of the matter is that relationship has been severed. It's dead. We've got to believe it, though. That's why Paul says, knowing this. Knowing this. That's the facts. Knowing this. Knowing this in verse 6. Our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. Verse 9. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died in the sin once. I mean, how many times do you have to die? Once. Christ died once. You died in Christ. You died once to the old domineering master. It's dead. And the cross slays your old identity. That is not you if you're in Christ. But what about the resurrection? I'll tell you, the resurrection stamps you with a new identity of power, and that is Christ in you. Christ in you. The old you is dead if you're in Christ. The new you is Christ in you. You see, back in verse 4 of Romans chapter 6, he says, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. The old person, the old relationship is gone. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. New life. Newness of life. He says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, you are a new creation in Christ. Alright? So Jesus' resurrection takes a stamp and he brands you with a new identity. You have new papers. You have new papers. You have been released from your old master. You have been brought into Jesus who says, Come unto me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. It's a new walk. He says that you may walk in newness of life. What does that mean? It's a new way of life. It's a new way of thinking. It's a new way of seeing the world. It's a new way of living. It's a new way of acting because your thinking affects your actions. It's a new way of treating yourself. It's a new way of treating others. It's a new way of living a relationship. It's a purpose because it's Christ, not you. A new identity of power, the resurrection, stamps in you. As Jesus came out of that tomb in power, he was raised by the Holy Spirit, the Bible says in Romans chapter 1, verse 4, and Romans chapter 8, you are also raised with him. Just as your old self was crucified with Christ on the cross, you died to that, you were dead to that, you, that, that, that old body of, uh, of sin and domineering has no more mastery over you, has no authority in your life. And the same is true in the resurrection. On the flip side, We've been raised with Christ. He gives new life. He gives new power. New power to live. 
Jesus' resurrection stamps you with a new identity of power. It's a new walk. But also notice that it is a new union. A new union. A new connection. Alright? He says in verse 5, We have been planted together in the likeness of His death. We shall be also... And the words are implied there, planted together in the likeness of his resurrection. He says in verse 8, now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Verse 10, for in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Verse 11, likewise, reckon ye also yourselves, understand this, count it to be true, to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ. Our Lord. It's a new union. Paul says in verse 5 that we will be also in the likeness of his resurrection. So there's a future tense that also describes our participation in the resurrection. We will be united. We will be planted together. By the way, that word that's translated uh, planted together in verse 5 is a word that could be used of two things that are fused together. Fused together. I heard a story of a man involved in a very serious fire where his, his digits were fused together. They actually melted together and they had to, they had to separate them with surgery here. That's, that's a horrible sense of union. But in Christ, we are fused and joined to Jesus Christ. And if you're joined to Jesus Christ, then you're joined in his resurrection. That historical fact that Nick read this morning in Luke chapter 24, where Jesus walked out of the tomb, you have been joined to that in Christ, your faith. We will be united here. And, and yes, there is, there, is, uh, there is a future uh, resurrection that we will enjoy here. But there is also new life in Christ right now. Verse 4 and verse 13. Paul says, surrender or yield yourselves unto God, in verse 13, as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Your body is as now, instead of doing things that were, were against God, and, and against His word, and against His will, and against His ways, now you're a surrendered sacrifice to God. You can say no to sin, you can say yes to God, through this new life, the resurrection. It's a new union, it's a new walk, it's also a new master then. It's also a new master. The new master is the reign of God's grace in your life. The old master was the domineering of sin. You had tunnel vision. Everything you did was shrunk, uh, was, was like shrink rack. It was all about you. But in Christ, he frees us from that. He takes that razor and he slices that shrink wrapping. He frees us here to have a new master, the reign of God's grace. What's God's grace? It's his enabling power. To do his will. That doesn't mean that you won't have temptation now. Understand there's a big difference between temptation and sin. Jesus was tempted yet without sin. Uh, It is possible to be tempted without falling. Temptation is not sin. We can be tempted without sinning. There's also a difference between not being perfect in this present life though. And letting sin rule your life. There's a difference. Paul is saying, don't let sin be king in your mortal body. In verse 12, he says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Don't let sin be king. Don't let it have the crown. Don't give it the, the authority that you should obey it in the lust thereof. He says, don't do that. That's not you. That's the cross has slain that identity. You have been stamped with a new identity of power, living to Christ, living to righteousness. 
Paul says, at this present time, don't let sin be king. Many times I have people that say this in so many words, uh, in counseling, etc. I can't seem to find a reality in my Christian life. Um, I want to tell you, if there's to be a reality in your Christian life, there's a price to be paid. In order for Jesus to be alive to God, he had for us to be alive. He had to, for us to be alive to God in our daily walk, he had to die. There is a daily death that is needed. We must reckon ourselves dead to that selfishness, to the self-centeredness, the self-sufficiency. Because it is then that we can become alive to the most important thing. Alive to God. But you understand that there has to be first a come and dying. A reckoning of the old. The old Jamie is dead at the cross. The new Jamie is resurrected to live with Christ. Do you want to be alive to God? Then there must be a death. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. If any man, not the super spiritual, he said, if any man, he said, it's all of his disciples will come after me, let him deny himself. There's the death. Take up his cross. There's the march to the hill of Calvary, saying no to the old me, no to the old master, and follow me. You can be active in Christian work, you can be a missionary, you can be a pastor, you can be a theology professor, you can be a thousand things. But if you want the reality of being alive with God and in fellowship with Him day by day, there must be death. There is no other way. Because that is how we come alive to righteousness. That is how God stamps a new identity. You can't have both. You can't have us on the fence. A new identity means not a partially new identity. It's a whole new identity. And notice in verse 11, Paul does not, however, just tell us what to do. He tells us how to do it. In verse 11, he says, Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed in the sin, but alive in the God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Reckon here. Every word there is precious. He says, likewise. All right? In other words, likewise is connecting us to just as Jesus died to sin and now lives to God in verse 10, we are to reckon ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Reckon. It has the idea of an accounting term. Um, unless you're lazy like me and you just use online banking and not your check register. All right. If you use your check register, you're to take your statements that come in the mail and reconcile them. Right. To make sure they are correct. All right. Bank isn't making a mistake and you make a mistake. Banks never make a mistake. Right. Uh, you're always the one who makes a mistake, right? No, uh, to make sure they match up. And Paul says, make sure in your understanding here that, you, that your mind matches up to the truth of God's word. That the cross slays your old identity, the resurrection stamps on you a new identity. Reckon. That's by faith. That's where faith comes in. Believing what God has said, believing it is true, and acting on it. Considering ourselves dead to sin but alive to God, there is a simplicity here. There is deep truth here. And what Paul is saying is like breaking the chains. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead in the sin but alive unto righteousness. <clears throat> Martin Lloyd Jones, a British pe- uh, preacher of the, of the 60s, had a, had a good analogy of, of two fields 
Imagine that there are two fields separated by a stone wall. And, um, and these, these, these are high stone walls, so you can't see the other field on the other side. And every person begins life in one of those fields. It's a field ruled by Satan and, and sin and selfishness. And the walls are so high, we have no chance of scaling those walls in our own way and escaping the field on our own. But God in His grace, He has reached down, He has taken us out of that Satan-dominated field, that selfish field, and He puts us in the field next to it, which is a field ruled by Christ and His righteousness. There is a decisive change in our position, from the old field to the new one, separated by that wall there. We're in a whole new relationship all right, a relationship with Jesus, and therefore the, the sin that is over here, uh, here we have a new relationship with as well. But Martin Lord Joan points out we can still hear Satan calling to us across the wall. Across the wall from that old field where we used to live. And that old habit, we sometimes still obey his voice there in this field of Christ. But we never need to. We never need to. And that captures, I think, well, this combination of, of, of a change in status along with an experience here as well. You see, we overcome sin by moving farther and farther away from that wall, growing closer to Christ, so that the voice of Satan grows fainter. The voice of Jesus is more real and louder in our ears. There's a man about 1,600 years ago named Augustine who uh, had a kind of a broken household that he grew up in. Uh, his mother was a fervent Christian. She prayed for Augustine all the time, every day. She had a burden for him because she saw how easily he would go and chase after things that didn't provide meaning in his life. As Augustine grew up, one of the things that continually attracted him and, 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 and was beckoning to him was, was um, uh, relationships uh, with other women. And he always had a mistress. He always had a prostitute. He moves to uh, Italy and does some study there um, because he was training to be a lawyer. Uh, and there he just is in, I mean, he's just, he's just in bondage and slavery to his, to his lust and sin especially for women. He's a slave, quite frankly, to sex. His mother, Monica, is praying for him. There comes a low point in his life, a crisis in his life. And somehow he is directed to read the end of Romans, chapter 13, um, which says, But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not the provision of the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. It is through that text that God moves him from slavery to sin to a new, new resurrection identity. He becomes converted to Christ. He exercises faith in God's word is true in the gospel. And he's a new creature. But it's not long after his conversion. That he's walking down the streets of Milan, Italy. When a prostitute with once he was very close to. Beckoned him. She said, Augustine, it is I wanting his business, and he slowed down. And with a newfound assurance of the Spirit of Christ living in his heart, he turned to her and he replied, Yes, but it is no longer I. And that's the difference. That's the believing. 
That's the fight of faith. That the old identity has been slain at the cross. The head of the snake has been cut off. It might be still writhing like that chicken on the ground. But it is dead. It just, we have a fight of faith to believe it, right? And the new identity is stamped on you through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He gives you power to live his life through the Holy Spirit. The path to new life in Jesus comes by dying with him and being raised with him. It comes by saying no to the old life and yes to Jesus. But that only comes by understanding what Jesus did on the cross and in the tomb he did for you. Appropriated by faith. I can have the checkbook of the president in my hand, but if I'm not using it, I don't believe that it's the resources that I need. God's invitation to you is to come and die. To come to the cross and say, my life is empty. It is futile. It has caused me destruction. And it is a great weight and chain that is pulling me to hell. Jesus, what you did on the cross, crushed those chains. What you did in the tomb places your life inside of me. Come and die and come and live. Come and die so that you may be joined in his resurrection and have new life through his resurrection right here and right now. If that describes you as someone who you don't have that new life, you don't have the life of Christ in you, you are frustrated with your old life, everything you break, everything, everything you touch seems to have the reverse Midas touch. It turns it to crumbling and dust. You work hard. Life is empty and it's meaningless. You try to do right, but it always seems to end up in failure. You need to come die so that you can live. Fellow believers, you can't do this Christian life in your own power. Paul says in Galatians, don't you know that when you came to Christ, that work was begun by the Holy Spirit, and then your living to Christ must also continue the work of the Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit lives in you. And He does this through the Gospel. That God, our holy, righteous judge, created us to glorify and enjoy Him forever. But we fell short. We trampled His glory. We trampled his, the infinite worth of God Almighty by going our own way spiritually dead and we need God to give us new life and he does that through Jesus Christ who lived perfectly in our place Jesus Christ fully God and fully man who died the death that we deserved who asks us to come to the cross with nothing to offer but our sin and hand it to him and have that old identity slain and have open arms then after he takes that sin upon himself at the cross to receive an eternal weight of perfect righteousness of Jesus that he heaps to our account with a balance that never runs out and actually increases and increases and increases the perfect righteousness of Christ so that God, through your faith, can see you as he sees his only son, Jesus Christ, with whom he says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Christian, that's how God sees you. Unbeliever, that's where you need to come to.
If you need to speak with me today after the message or anyone else here about that message, we have tons of folks here who explain how Jesus has done that in their life. I'd love to speak with you as well. And believers, if you need counseling, if you need encouragement, if you need prayer, uh, this is this is the time to do so. See the resurrection.